The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him might not perish, but might have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him will not be condemned, but whoever does not believe has already been condemned, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Today we celebrate the Feast of the Most Holy Trinity, honoring the central mystery of the Christian faith, honoring the fact that we know something about God that we could never in a million years with the brightest of minds continuously working have come to understand by ourselves. Namely the mystery that God is one God and yet three persons. This is not something that we ourselves could have reasoned to. It came to us and it must come to us by revelation. God had to reveal this to us. And indeed, we see it throughout the scriptures. With more and more clarity over time, God opens the way to us to be able to enter into his inner life. Not just to be able to to know something about God as outsiders, but to be brought into the life of God himself. To understand who he is at the center of his being. Unity and trinity. It is this mystery that is the central point, is the the core of everything that we believe as Christians. Everything ultimately points to the Trinity. But we know that oftentimes in our earthly life, our focus is not so much on the Trinity, but upon ourselves. I've recounted before how on the first day of our spiritual theology class at the seminary, Our professor asked us, what is the ultimate goal? What is our ultimate goal? The final thing that we're pointed towards. And all of us seminarians in class resoundingly agreed that our ultimate goal was to get to heaven. And our professor politely let us know that it wasn't all about us. That our ultimate goal is to glorify God. We do that by becoming saints. We do that by getting to heaven. But our goal is to glorify him. Not just for me to get into heaven. Our goal is to glorify God. But again, it can easily happen that our focus moves from the Lord to the self. We get it honest, as we say, from our first parents, Adam and Eve. Who, as the serpent comes to whisper into into Eve's ear... She focuses not upon the God who had been walking with them in the garden up until this point. She focuses rather on the things of what it would provide for her, what this fruit would do for her. That it was pleasing to the eyes, that it looked good, that it would give her wisdom, that it would make her better. And placing her focus upon herself and Adam doing the same, they ultimately fell, losing sight of the Lord. 
We see another little hint of this in Peter when he goes out walking on the water, trusting first in the Lord, walking with God on water, the unthinkable thing. And yet when he takes his eyes off of the Lord and puts it on the waves, he begins to sink. And the simple reality is that when in the course of our earthly life we focus too much upon ourselves, we sink, we fall. I don't know about you, but I remember very clearly for myself various projects in school where our teacher would ask us to make a little poster about ourselves. Oftentimes it was at the beginning of the year to kind of give the teacher and our fellow classmates a, a way to see who is this person, right? And so I would go and you'd clip out little clippings from magazines or newspapers or whatever you whatever have uh, available and paste it all on uh, on a poster board to be able to, to hang up or to show or to, to say who you are. This, this is the stuff about me, things that you would know about me. And nearly every time it would be things for me, of, it, would be my, it would be baseball. Uh, so there would be baseball bats and baseball gloves and logos for my favorite sports teams, maybe even a picture of my favorite player at the time. There would be things about music, so maybe some of my favorite musicians or a guitar or a drum set, these kinds of things. There'd be pictures of my cat and my dog at the time. Occasionally, my parents would make the top five, so it'd be a, sneak them in there a little bit. You know, you gotta, you gotta be honest, right? Parents make the list. You know, but, but the, this is the stuff about me, right? This is, this is who I am. This is my life. If you want to know the story, here it is. Baseball, music, cats, dogs, family. It was an opportunity to be able to, to see something of myself. And if we were to do that same exact project today, at whatever age we might find ourselves, I'm curious what our pictures would look like. What would be the things that would define us? That would be the, 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 the things that we would stick on a poster or that maybe others would stick on a poster for us, right? To say, this is who this person is. This is the stuff that they're about. And I would also wonder how much of that ultimately is about God and how much of the poster would be about self. God never made my poster in school. It was always just things about me, ultimately. But if I'm created in the image of God, there ought to be something pointing towards him, an invitation to grow and to change. And this is the ultimate reality that God is calling us to grow and to change. In our readings today, we hear about this great uh, revelation that God has given to us, that he is indeed Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Being able to enter into the life of God himself, even being able to know his name, to speak his name, which is unthinkable to anyone before at that time. But to be brought into the life of God, it's an important thing to have been brought in the life of God because it means that something is supposed to change in us. We hear of Moses, how he goes up on the mountain to meet the Lord. He goes with the two tablets, ready for the Lord to inscribe the law with his finger upon the stones. And we hear Moses' prayer, basically calling upon the Lord who is, uh, who is great in mercy to come and to be with the people of Israel. And Moses tells him honest. He says, Lord, <laughs> they're stiff-necked people. <laughs> they are hard-headed. And you know it. 
because you made them. Right? But walk with us. Be with us, Lord. Go in our company. We are admittedly a stiff-necked people. We got some problems, Lord, that need to be worked out in us. There's some stuff that happens in our hearts that needs to be changed. There's some things that we think, some things that we say that need to be changed. But Lord, walk with us. And he does. The Lord walks with the people of Israel and works continuously to try to make a stiff-necked people, a hard-headed people, to become more like himself. And the process begins again in every single age. Every person, every generation is another chance where the Lord begins again to work upon another stiff-necked person, another hard head, to make them into his own image. It's the recognition that all of us were created at the moment of our birth in the image of God. But as we go through life, Our sin disfigures that image. It's as if you're driving down the highway and you get in this love bug season, right? And you just keep on driving and you never clean the windshield. That's what our soul looks like as we go through life. The stuff just keeps on clinging and keeps on clinging and keeps on clinging. And in God's good time, he wants to come to us and clean us up to make us more like what we should have been from the start. If sin had not gotten the way. To cleanse us and to perfect us in his own image. To change little things in us. One at a time. To become ultimately a person after Christ's own heart. I'm reminded of a a CD that I bought back when I was in high school. Back when we actually had the the physical CDs. uh, And it came with little liner notes, and you could look inside, and you could read the lyrics of songs, and you could read, you could, sometimes they would have pictures of the band, or they would have little, uh, you know, little, uh, little other, you know, kind of designs or art that they would put in there. And there was a, it's a particular album called Become Who You Are. Become Who You Are. And on the cover of the album, it had something resembling a person. It had, it had a person's face, but it was resembling more like that poster that I talked about at the beginning, where you clip pieces and parts of yourself. So it was more like a, a collage of a human face, not a single individual, but a collage of parts of various persons' faces. And as you flipped through the, the liner notes in the CD, little pieces and the little individual parts of that face were changed. The eye became a sacred heart, the ear became a cross, a part of the cheek became a little image of the Blessed Virgin Mary. And as you continue through the book, more and more images of the face were changed into Christ, into Our Lady, into a saint, into a religious image. Such that when you got to the back of the book, it was the whole, just the the whole image was in the outline of a person, but it was all images of Christ and the saints. Become who you are. Become what you believe. It's the recognition that in the Christian life, as we go, and the same thing in the liner notes ought to be happening actually in our soul, that as we go through life, little things within us ought to be converted and changed to be more like Christ. Little things, one at a time, transformed in our hearts to image Christ.
Because this is what it is to believe in the Son of God, as our Lord spoke in the Gospel. God sent his Son into the world not to condemn the world, but to save the world. Anyone who believes in his name has life. Anyone who does not believe is condemned. When we hear the word believe, though, it can be easy for us to allow it to be a belief of the mind, a knowledge here that Jesus is our Savior, that God has come among us, that God is good, that God is merciful, that God is all of these things. And it can be enough for us sometimes to stay in our belief in our head. But this is not the belief that the gospel is actually talking about. The word believe that Jesus is using here is a word that implies a continuous action, a believing into, a doing of belief. Otherwise, we recognize also that our blessed Lord, as he's going around in his ministry, he points out that that even the devil believes in the Son of God. He knows who he is. When Jesus comes to be able to cast out a demon of a particular man, the demons cry out, We know who you are, the Christ, the Son of God. They believe, they know, but they don't believe with their actions. They don't believe with their lives. And so Jesus is calling us to believe in the Son of God, not in the sense of of profession of faith, that we know it as a fact. He's calling us to believe by our deeds, by the transformation of our hearts, by becoming who he is and who he has called us to be. This is the belief that Christ desires of us. And the reason he desires it of us is because our part in this world is not about us. It's kind of a relief sometimes to know, huh? It's not all about me. That I am here to be used as an instrument of God. I am part of a much larger plan, and all of us are. All of us are important to God, most certainly. But we are here to glorify Him. We're here to be able to be radiant crowns uh, for Him of His goodness, of His power, of His mercy, of His love. We are supposed to be the shining symbols of, the, of, of what God can do if we let him work. This is our place as Christians, to let God shine through us. It's when we don't do that that we find ourselves in trouble. And it's when we fall short of being who we are supposed to be, when we allow Christ to continually convert our hearts, when we fail to do that... It's tragic not just for us. It's tragic for other people who ought to be hearing the word and meeting the Lord through us. I've often reflected on the reality that suffering is a thing that pushes many people to not believe in God. It's a common sentiment among people who claim to be atheists or sometimes simply agnostic, unknowing about God's presence, is they struggle with the simple mystery of suffering. If God is good, suffering exists, bad things happen to good people, how can God be good? That's the general question that many people have in their hearts. It's the question that every single human, I think, ultimately questions. 
Why do good thi- why do bad things happen to good people? And then controversially, <laughs> why do bad things why do good things happen to bad people? And it's a mystery. And part of the mystery is, well, if that's the case, and if Christians don't have a response to that, then either God isn't good like we say he is, or God isn't real, and none of this matters. And this is where many hearts lie. This is where that many hearts turn to those simple realities. Either, either it doesn't matter, or it's not even true. And that's about God himself and their belief in the Lord. There's also a reality about many hearts use a similar analogy, a a similar line of belief about their participation in church. If they see Christians who claim to be Christians, that we go to Mass on Sunday, but we curse like sailors on Monday, that we live lives of of lust in the world on Tuesday, if we do nothing of of show mercy on Wednesday, if if we don't allow the gospel to actually transform us, we become living billboards of why you should not go to church. Because it doesn't matter. Because nothing changes, right? We become a living billboard of God isn't actually that good. Or maybe God's not actually that powerful because nothing's changed. Or why should we even go? The Christians are just as bad as the people who are not. And it can become a stain against us. The Christian life lived poorly becomes a reason not to be Christian. Becomes a reason to turn away from God rather than to Him. I've listened to this. This is not something I'm just making up. I hear it from people. I hear it from friends whose parents go to church regularly, which is good, good Catholic folks, and yet they'll go home and are anything but Christ-like to their children. And the children simply respond, and that's why I don't go to church, Mom. And that's why I don't go to church, Dad. Your response to me makes me not inclined to go. It's a hard thing. We are called to be bridges for people to meet Christ. But when we don't allow God to change us, we become walls that prevent people from seeing him at all, at least in us. Now, this isn't to say that everybody has to be perfect, because I know for sure I've been a wall between someone else and God many, many times in my life. Even between, between many of you and God, I have been a wall to prevent you rather than to permit you entry into the heart of God. The simple fact is, though, that we must be willing to grow and change. Again, like the CD liner notes, like the poster that has all the things about us. Our lives, as we proceed, ought to be having little pieces of conversion happening. Sometimes they're quiet and nobody notices. But sometimes there's something where other people go, Huh, have you noticed such and such hadn't been doing X, Y, or Z lately? And people see. And they know that God is working in you. And when they see that God is working, they can understand the shortcomings that might be there and be a bit more forgiving sometimes. Because they know that the Lord's working, but he's not done yet. So this is us as Christians. This is our call, is to be able to point people 
to the one true God who has revealed himself to us. People are hungry for him. I was intrigued over the last couple of months. Google searches for the word prayer have spiked drastically. Because people are looking for something. They're looking for prayer. They're looking for God. They're hungry for something more because they recognize that in themselves and in this world, we do not have the fullness of joy that we desire. We need more. And my brothers and sisters, we have him. And we know his name. And we can call upon him. And even though we might be still stiff-necked from time to time, he is with us. He's in the tabernacle. Always here among us. Always present to us. Listening to us. Patiently waiting for us. Patiently forgiving us when we come to him yet again with the same sin that we confess all the time in confession and feel like confession is just a waste of time because, Father, it's just the same list. Right? He's here with us. And he knows us. And he wants us to continue to draw closer even more to knowing him. Not just for ourselves, but for him. For his glory. That other people might be able to know the joy of knowing God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And to be able to praise him also in heaven. By us living a life of holiness. By us living the life of faith. By doing the things that Christ calls us to do. Or at least to open our hearts to allowing the Lord to change us. To move in the direction of being more and more like him. By doing these things. In all of this, we glorify God. And that's our ultimate goal. If we do it, we will get to heaven. Fine and good. Somebody at the end of Mass, uh, at the end of the 8 o'clock Mass said, So basically, Father, what you're saying is aim for heaven or, or, or glorify God. And if you get heaven, it's lanyat. That's a good way to look at it. It's extra. It's something I get to enjoy. But that's not my goal. My goal, our goal, is to glorify God in all things. That many might be able to come to know him and to rejoice to praise him forever in heaven. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. As it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen.